let me welcome you all good evening everyone welcome to another discussion of ifa many thanks for joining in these difficult times let me cordially welcome the author of the book dr sam pitoda whom i take the liberty of calling an old friend heartiest congratulations dr pitoda for sharing your vision for the new world through your book redesign the world a global call to action I hope your vision resonates with millions of people world over and many agents of change emerge for global action to transform the vision into reality. I wish the book you cited widely acknowledged as the father of India's telecom revolution Dr. Pitoda is internationally known inventor with 110 patent to his credit. He's an innovator, business entrepreneur, development thinker, and a futuristic writer who likes to be called a catalyst for change and basically a loner. He's also the chairman of the National Congress. Surrender, maybe you could slow the stop for a second. I asked Manu Bhai to mute himself. One of the, one of the other three generations. Okay. Now you can hear me. He has served as chairman of the National Knowledge Commission and National Innovation Council and Prime Minister Dr. Manmohan Singh, loving both the country of his origin, India, and the country of his adoption, USA. He is a living bridge for the lasting friendship between India and the United States. This is one of the most fascinating books I have read in recent times. Though the subject is quite complex and serious, the book is quite racy. Once you start reading, you don't feel like putting it down. I must compliment Dr. Pitroda for his very elegant and simple prose. I finished the book without consulting the dictionary even once, which I don't do when I'm reading book of my friend Shashi Tharoor. The author transcends centuries, continents, issues with Jupiter velocity. Besides being a tech guru, hyperconnectivity advocate he comes out as a historian a political thinker a social scientist a social reformer and an environmentalist an economist and an evangelist billy graham and the author huxley of the brave new world all rolled in one after reading the book when i close my eyes and try to imagine dr pitroda he appears with flowing white spotlessly white hair and flowing white beard like prime minister narendra modi in a white robe father sam raises his right hand and says let there be democracy human rights peace prosperity inclusiveness clean air clean water and livable habitat for all none goes hungry there is enough for all there is no poverty just in fairness prevail everywhere people care and share and live in perfect harmony production for agriculture field goes up 100 times trees along the tree trees along the street self illuminate there are no traffic lights cars fly there is no violence everyone is working for the humanity and making planet sustainable who needs the police or the army on such a planet if jazz legend louis armstrong were alive he would sing his unforgettable song what a wonderful world 
Dr. Pitola book conjures up an enticing and mesmerizing dream. I am reminded of Steve Jobs' famous line, never, never stop dreaming dreams. I must now welcome my two distinguished discussants who have blown their time and joined to offer their frank and disciplinary comment on the book. I thank both. I'm sorry, Dr. Sam, Dr. Sashi Tharoor, our dear friend, can't be with us. His post-COVID recovery is strained, prevent him from joining us. I wish him very speedy and full recovery. I have known Lord Desai since 1987 when I was at Indian High Commission. That time he was not Lord, he was just Professor Desai and looked like a lost younger brother of Sai Baba. World famous economist with 25 books to his credit and now rebellious Lord, he is a familiar face on Indian television channels and needs no introduction. I have never forgiven the Nobel Committee for not giving him the Nobel Prize for economics. We at IFA are always delighted to have him amongst us as he always controls the audience with his unorthodox comments. A word about Yamini. Can you believe it? I have never met Yamini here in person, nor have ever exchanged emails with her. So why did I invite her to join the panel? I was looking for someone who is fiercely independent-minded and has courage to speak her mind. Having read many of her articles, I was convinced that she is the right person. At a relatively young age, she had the Center for Policy Research, arguably the most respected think tank of India as its president and the CEO. Before I invite the author, to tell us what this book is all about, let me pose some questions. There is saying, nobody can stop an idea whose time has come. Has the time come for the world which this book unfolds? Obviously, the author feels so and believes so. I have some doubts. The world which has witnessed unprecedented death, destruction, devastation, destruction the last 18 months, thanks to tsunami of covid is longing to return to normalcy or near normalcy and not for welcoming a new world. Secondly, can all the wrong of the world be pegged on the outdated designs? If, if one crashes the most advanced aerodynamic Ferrari car on German Autobahn, should we blame the design or the designer? Any organization is as good or as bad as those who run it at the top. The U.S. President Trump walked out of the Paris Climate Change Agreement and the WHO, tracing them scathingly. His successor has resigned. Evidently, there was nothing wrong with the design of these two organizations. Let me take you back more than 10 years. In 2003, the Secretary of, Secretary of State of the oldest democracy, General Colin Powell, blatantly lied in the United Nations General Assembly about the weapons of mass destruction amassed by Saddam Hussein and his connections with Al-Qaeda and U.S. bomb Iraq to Stone Age. It didn't happen because of any fault of design of the United Nations, but because the use of falsehood by the mightiest superpower. I think the IMF, World Bank, WTO, UN and many other organizations can be reformed 
if the big boys are serious about bringing in the reforms, but most of the time they are not. You say we don't need police. After, after the attempted insurrection at the capital of 6 January 2021, and the Black Lives Matter movement, many Americans feel otherwise. Just this month, President Biden has presented defense budget US dollars $715 billion. I, it underlines that armies are going to stay all over the world. Yes, the hyper-connectivity has transformed the world, but has it made it more humane, kinder, more just, and fairer? Ten leading countries account for 80% of vaccines used so far. Why should there be such a long time for approving the waiver for the IPR for producing vaccines for the poor countries? The author says the world has two templates to follow, the Chinese one and the American one. I feel at the philosophical level, the world has two options. To follow the Chinese leader, Deng Xiaoping, who said that so long as the cat caught the red, it didn't matter if it was white or the black. On the other hand, Mahatma Gandhi said that noble cause must be pursued with noble means. These choices are available in all fields. Alas, the world had abandoned the great Mahatma and embraced Deng's happening. So long as Deng's philosophy rules the minds, a better world will remain elusive. You are a great admirer of Mahatma Gandhi. I am also. Unfortunately, in the country of his birth, today there are very few Gandhians in India. In the electoral politics of India, no party seeks votes in the name of Mahatma Gandhi, not even the Indian National Congress. And who is practicing nonviolence? In USA, every week there is a shootout somewhere. Innocent lives are lost, but they can't agree on gun control. I wonder why you have spared just half a line for Buddhism. The influence and impact of Buddhism in spreading message of non-violence in many countries is a historical fact. With Mahatma Gandhi, Dr. Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela are no more with us. His Holiness the Dalai Lama remains the most forceful advocate of non-violence. According to him, the world cannot survive without compassion and kindness. Sorry for these rambling thoughts. Dr. Pituda, floor is entirely yours. You are welcome to take 15, 20 minutes for your comment. Please, go ahead. Thank you, Mr. Kumar. Greetings to everybody from Chicago. It is indeed a special honor and privilege for me to be here with all these great intellectuals I'm a little bit worried to be in front of you. I'm humbled. I'm not a political scientist. I'm not a great writer. I'm just an ordinary engineer who decided to dabble into too many things. So my first request would be, please don't take me too seriously. My second request would be, that the book is not written for people like you. It is really written for young people 
who are looking for ideas and idealism. I talk to hundreds and hundreds of these and I find that they are lost. They're looking for something interesting, exciting, romantic, doing life. Many are fed up with this world that we have created around us. And as I was locked up during, during Corona crisis in quarantine at home, after about two weeks, I said, I must do something interesting to keep me occupied. I had this idea in my mind for several years. And that's when I decided to finally write something. I wrote it not for experts. I wrote it for general audience to read. And as a result, you will find that there are no references by design. There are no big comparisons, charts, graphs. As an engineer, I love all that. The first draft turned out to be 450 pages. And it took me a lot of time to cut it down to 250. It cannot meet everybody's view of the world. It is my personal view based on my own journey. I was born in 1942. Just about the time the design was created for UN, World Bank, IMF, NATO, WTO, all that stuff. And when I look at my own journey from a small little tribal village in Orissa, in a family of eight, my father had fourth grade education. To be able to come and do all these things, I started mapping my own journey with what has happened in the world. I realized that Transistor was born after I was born. And the revolution that Transistor created gave me an opportunity to participate for last 55 years in IT and telecom, mainly in the US. So I have seen it all in terms of connectivity. My journey is a journey of connectivity. I was designing digital switching and all that in early 65. I was there when Intel was being formed. If you understand some of the integrated circuits, TTL logic guy who invented was a friend of mine. So having gone through the hyper-connectivity journey, I strongly feel that the world is about to change. The process hasn't started yet. Connectivity is going to change everything. It is changing slowly but surely. And we are not recognizing the impact of hyper-connectivity. For the first time in the human history, we are all connected. Never happened before. What does this connectivity mean? Are we going to use this connectivity to do the same thing we have been used to doing for a long time? Little better, little faster, little cheaper? 
or are we going to do things we have never done before in our life? That is the question I have been asking. Who decided it should take four years to get a degree? With hyperconnectivity, I want to question that. So everything is about to be changed. When I look at things from my perspective, I find that everything we do today is basically obsolete. Start with that. Before Corona crisis, I would go to New York for a lunch. I'll go to Florida for a half an hour lunch meeting. Now, I think about it and I say, why did I do that? If somebody wants to have lunch with me in Florida, I tell them to have a sandwich there. I have my sandwich here and we have a lunch on Zoom. It was possible before, but it was not acceptable before. Now it is acceptable. So I don't have to spend entire day for half an hour lunch in Miami. I think things are going to change drastically. The way we govern, the way we vote, the way our democracy works. I am a big believer in the power of hyperconnectivity. Of course, we are going through a bad period because initially everybody has found this little toy and they don't know how to use it. So they are misusing it. But it will settle. It may take decade. It may take longer. I believe in the power of connectivity and hyperconnectivity. I have not seen my grandchildren for 18 months, but I talk to them more than I'm physically there. My grandson has, to, grandson has to call me three times a day, every day. It's a different kind of relationship. And I think once we accept the fact that everything is about to change, we then begin to think about how would it change. Corona crisis has told us that we are all interconnected, interrelated, interwoven, interdependent. Anything that happens at one place has impact on everybody else. So when I looked at the design, I realized that the core of the design was based on democracy, human rights, capitalism, consumption, and military. How can you take this design forward and build on what we have accomplished and create a new framework, knowing that today you have American design, Chinese design, and in a hyper-connected world, you need a design which is based on network, collaboration, cooperation, coordination, co-creation, and not command and control, confrontation. It will happen. It may not happen in my time, but it will definitely happen in my grandchildren's time. I'm very optimistic. I have faith in the human race. I believe we have come to a point now in human history where we can sort our differences across table. Maybe another 10 years, maybe another 20 years. We don't need to fight because we live in a world where there is enough for everybody. Today, we live in an economy of surplus and not economy of scarcity. We can produce anything. The key is to decide to produce right things for right people. 
we wind up producing for people only who can afford to buy and not for people who need it the whole and i am not an economist and i am sure meghnath bhai will have more to say on this but i believe we need to decide what do we want to produce for whom do we want to produce how do we want to produce bottom up approach has not worked trickle down effect is not happening we need i mean top down approach has not worked bottom up approach is what we need decentralization is what we need and hyper connectivity brings about openness accessibility connectivity networking democratization decentralization demonetization these are all of the issues that hyper connectivity would have impact on if you just focus on hyper connectivity then you begin to see the world very differently and all i have done is focused on hyper connectivity and create a new design which is based on networking collaboration knowing that world leaders don't work that way but i also know that world leaders are at times petty they are control freaks i accept that so i said the key is to take democracy to inclusion most of the world conflicts are because of exclusion we need to take human rights to human needs and we can provide human needs today we know it takes 200 billion dollars a year to eliminate hunger when we spend 2 trillion dollar on defense is 10% when do we learn to do that it's not a rocket science we can go on justifying it i mean we have been working on eliminating hunger for last 50 years i've seen report from world bank and everybody why can't we eliminate hunger in 10 years can be done we can't do it because we don't have the organizational architecture to respond to those kinds of needs everything is top down everything is in vertical silos what we need is bottom up and networking a different organizational architecture is required everywhere i don't see a need for a minister of shipping it just doesn't make sense anymore but we have it today when i look at ministry of health it is really ministry of sickness you look at ministry of defense it is ministry of war everybody is ready with their gun they are just trigger happy yeah. and you can justify all that of course you can justify anything then we need to take capitalism to new economy i am convinced that capitalism has created so much inequality and technology has been a part of it all of us are done with one little idea to play digital chess or digital poker you create 10 billion dollar wealth and it's in the hands of three people is that the kind of systems we want to create so i think we need new economy which works on localization in the time of globalization and it is okay to have contradictions everything doesn't have to make sense believe me 
I've learned that in my life. There are things that don't make sense and work. And there are things that make sense and don't work. Then this whole idea of consumption. I mean, look, every time there is a shopping peak in US during Christmas and Thanksgiving, the whole world gets happy. I mean, what kind of a world economy is that? That if Americans buy, people in Korea, India, China, everybody is happy. And what do they buy? How much do they buy? You know, when I think of this car, which is going to be self-driven car, whenever it comes, it is going to come at some point in time. We won't need four-car garage that I have. We won't need to own a car. I won't need parking lots. I don't need parking space. I want her to produce 50 million cars. I'll produce only 5 million. I mean, look at the impact of connectivity on transportation. You got to think totally differently. I need to make people self-learner and not give them four-year degree. I don't want to give certificate when you exit. I want to give certificate when you enter. So these are all wild ideas. Some work, some don't work. I do not have answers to everything. All I want to do is begin a new conversation. So instead of consumption, I want to focus on conservation and sustainability. And then finally, non-violence. Of course, everybody is trigger happy. But there are people in the world who need to focus on non-violence, non-violence at home, non-violence in the family, non-violence on the street, in the city, and then ultimately at a global level. It is indeed a borderless world. I've lived in US for 55 years and I work all over. What is my work? I don't know. Do I design anything anymore once in a while? I cannot be classified in vertical silo as I used to do when I was young, that I am an electrical engineer. Today, I could be a barber, I could be a gardener, I could be an engineer, and for a while, I could be a painter. So I think old paradigms don't work anymore. And that's the book. The idea is to begin new conversation. Idea is to challenge lots of ideas. I don't have solutions. But can I begin new conversation? Yes. And that's why I wrote this book. I know that in 250 pages, you can't tell much. I also know that I don't know how to tell a story as well as many other experts know. People have written 100 books, 25 books. I don't write well. I just speak. I talk. And this book is about my heart more so than about my mind. You don't have to accept it. You are welcome to criticize. I appreciate that. I want to learn from you. And I want a new conversation. That's all I want. I don't want to say I'm right. I don't want to say this is the answer. I want to say, can I really stir things up a little bit? Can I give younger people a dream to discuss? 
I know that it's hard to convince my own family members. How can I convince others? I've tried to convince my wife all my life on many things. And it's a journey that you continue and you work on it. So I understand my limitations. I accept it. But that shouldn't stop me from saying what I want to say. I'm a firm believer in democracy, human rights, also capitalism, but not of the type everybody has. You know, my son and I have this conversation all the time. He said, Dad, if you are too smart, how come you are not a billionaire? And my answer has been, it just didn't interest me. Believe me, it didn't interest me. I thought that was a boring thing to do in life. So we all have our own way of looking at things. We are all different and that's the beauty of our diversity. If we all thought the same way, it would be a boring life. So when I talk about equality, inclusion, I'm talking about inclusion of ideas. Nonviolence to me is very important. In my life of 79 years, I don't remember any major violence on my part. Any violence, in fact. I never shot a gun. I never hurt anybody. And I can do it. I'm sure other people can do it too. But today, largest number of people are in prison in America in terms of percentage. And America is a very well-educated country. And people take great pride in building more prisons. That's considered progress. That adds to GDP. Police is given cameras and it's considered IoT and progress and big data and analytics. So militarizing police is a new thing. So police doesn't look like police. Police looks like a military person. And that's called progress. So when I talk about demilitarizing police, I don't mean get rid of them. But I think make them more human. Look at what goes on in the US every day on Black Lives Matter. How people are treated. All they want is respect, dignity. That's all they want. Look at how we still treat our Dalits. I mean, this battle has been going on for centuries. Can't we just settle that in a couple of decades, saying Dalit is an Indian? He should not be prevented from going to temple or doing this or drinking at somebody's house. It don't require rocket science. It don't require social scientists to study this for 20 years. Just do it. There are things that require only individual to change. And this book is about changing from within. If I can respect inclusion, non-violence, new economic paradigm, sustainability, that's a good beginning. That's all. With this, I want to thank again all of you for listening to me. Thanks, Surendra Kumar, for the opportunity. And I am here to listen and learn. Thank you.
Okay, thank you, Dr. Pitroda. You have already started conversation. I am sorry to spread all over. Now, you said this book is not for people like me. It is for young people. That is why I got Yamini here. See, for I'm, glad. Yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> I know Yamini well. I know her father well. And Yamini yeah. may not know, but I was at her wedding. Yamini may not know, but I was at her wedding. Okay. So I'm yeah. glad to see you. You go ahead, you have 10 minutes. And please shoot. I'm ready to be shot. <laughs> so I have no problem. Okay. I appreciate all that. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Surinderji, for giving me this uh, uh, opportunity. It's such a privilege and an honor. Uh, when I received your email, uh, I, I was humbled and extremely nervous, but I couldn't possibly say no uh, to, to, to what is such an honor for me to have the opportunity to both engage uh, with this uh, wonderful book and, and engage in a conversation with you. I'm, uh, I'm a beneficiary of all that you did in the 1980s uh, because as I was growing up uh, I personally remember uh, how many times we, I had two other sisters and uh, three teenage girls and a single landline that mostly did not work was the equivalent of uh, World War 25 uh, over the years <laughs> and <laughs> as the STD booth started uh, emerging all over the country and uh, our technology revolution occurred it also fundamentally transformed my relationship with my siblings. Uh, and uh, over time, when mobile technology finally made it uh, into our everyday lives, uh, we were always reminded that it was uh, it was Sam that brought it here, that, 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 that who, whose foundational work led to these massive disruptive transformations that have completely changed every aspect of our lives. Um, and in the years since uh, uh, when I came to CPR, uh, I, I think we missed each other. I came just after the Knowledge Commission work uh, was over. But the Knowledge Commission played a pivotal role in not only shaping us intellectually, but also shaping our everyday lives because I sat in the office that used to be the Knowledge Commission and uh, was mostly told my identity within CPR was the Knowledge Commission identity. Yamini Kai, Knowledge Commission may bet. So <laughs> it made me feel very learned. <laughs> because of the of the large large feet that i was uh, space that i was occupying of your large feet so uh, all together i have learned and benefited immensely from all that you have done and been a part and parcel of the many transitions and transformations uh, that you have engineered uh, in our lives um, and as i read your book uh, it really did make me feel exactly as you uh, as you said, that you have both captured a deep sense of frustration. Um, and I don't count myself amongst the young anymore. Sadly, the gray hair is popping, uh, despite my wishes otherwise. Uh, but there is a sense that uh, people of my generation, I uh, and I feel this very strongly, have of having uh, been part and parcel of an extremely deep and transformative process in our social and economic lives, one that has changed us personally in unimaginable ways, opened up our lives in unimaginable ways and gave us a very, very strong sense of hope. Uh, to uh, emerging in a moment of deep despair as we look both 
domestically to the nation uh, that we uh, ha- have such pride in and globally at a world that is uh, th- that had an opportunity to in some ways harness and leverage the disruption that it uh, I- its own innovation produced uh, but is in some senses uh, using those very tools of innovation to self-destruct and self-destroy, uh, leaving for me with young children big questions about the kind of world uh, that my children will occupy uh, and all the promise and hope that we saw as in our generation of a world that was unimaginable. I mean, we, we live in the sci-fi that we used to watch in the 1980s and 90s, never thinking that this would be the world in which we would talk to each other over Zoom across many continents, breaking borders uh, and bringing each other closer. Yet the future mostly looks to one of deep despair. And in that context, bringing together a framework, which perhaps is a very, very idealistic framework, but one that nonetheless allows us to have a deeper dialogue amongst ourselves as a society of where we want to go and how we could potentially harness our possibilities uh, into, into creating a much, much more meaningful and better world. And that's, that's what I took away uh, from reading your book and from uh, thinking through the, the pillars that you articulated, the pillars of inclusion of human human needs of new economies of conservation and sustainability of nonviolence as being very central elements to what would make for a new world but i was challenged when i read your book also uh, because the real question for me is how do we get there and uh, you know somewhere the, in 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 the in the sort of last few pages of your book when you describe your own life and the role that you played in engineering the transformations the missions uh, inside inside our political institutions inside the state to convert it and change it uh, into becoming an actor that was enabling of positive transformations in society it left me wondering uh, about what what is it that we need to do to be able to move in those directions? You reflected on what you did, but you didn't reflect on how you did it uh, in, in, in depth. And you also didn't reflect on why is it that those seeds of transformation that were the, the roots of which were laid in the 80s and early 90s, um, in some ways didn't didn't uh, uh, you know didn't fully achieve their goals you talk about uh, you know for the, the mission mode bureaucracy that you per, that, that you pushed back in the 80s all those missions exist today uh, in our work you uh, every time we go to government offices the the drinking water mission the technology mission uh, they all exist um, but they have uh, but but that culture or an energy that you describe in some ways doesn't exist anymore. The word stays, the grammar stays, but what it was seeking to transform falls back into a business as usual. And I'm a student of public administration. So I spend a lot of my time trying to understand what is it that makes bureaucracy stick or what is it that makes political institutions engineers of social transformation? And what is it that makes them passive agents that only respond when pushed very deeply rather than internally motivated to really move the process of change in society. And in your story, I saw a story of deep change uh, followed by a certain static stuck. And I was really keen to understand what are the factors of society that create that stuck. 
which brings me to a second issue underlying a lot of the frustration that you describe in the visions of the world and why you yourself felt the need to articulate this third vision is the reality of the complexity of power that shapes the nature of society and the nature of our political institutions you place great hope in innovation technology and its disruptive capability and like i said as a beneficiary of the innovation technology and the disruptive capability of those technologies uh, i i'm not one to be a, a a techno pessimist at all but i wonder if we think of technology and its disruptive capabilities without engaging in the underlying social institutions that ultimately mediate the deployment of these technologies and the power dynamics that shape them we may end up exactly where we are today which is in a world of disruptive capability but a disruptive capability being deployed in ways that are undermining core institutions how do we think about disruptive capability in a society and across the globe uh, we are seeing signs of majoritarianism of polarization of divisiveness uh, all of which in some ways have been exacerbated by the very technology that has the capability for the inclusion the the sustainability the world of sustainability the world of non-violence the world uh, of a new economic order one that isn't anchored in greece and agreed and avarice but one that is anchored in human needs and human capabilities and so i i what i missed was a an, an engagement with how technology engages with society and as somebody that has actually been at both ends of the spectrum not only have you been the innovator that have been disrupting technology you've also been part and parcel of a process of unfolding that technology into our lives both through markets but also through the state how do state and market intersect with one another to convert the values that you are that, that you are articulating into values that can be deliberated in our society and values that can be genuinely engaged in to move to create a social movement of transformation remains an unanswered question perhaps that was your goal uh, to trigger precisely these questions in our minds and to ask ourselves what kind of institutional platforms social movements social structures we need to build these dialogues and deliberations uh, but i also find myself feeling very pessimistic in the ability of dis the disruptive moment that you have anchored your narrative around the disruptive moment of covid-19 uh, as being the opportunity to facilitate exactly this it is exactly what we need but i find that as 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 a as uh, the globe is actually moving in completely the opposite direction at the start of covid the very global institutions that shaped the vision of the american vision the 75 years that you described uh complete found themselves completely unable to be responsive to the challenges that covid-19 presented and part of the reason for that was the absence of leadership and then we again fall back into the challenge of how do we negotiate power dynamics um what we are seeing today too is the very the the the, the is power unfolding in ways that are furthering the inequality within the globe as we start talking about vaccines and uh, and and countries are uh, and countries health systems responding uh, 
And we don't see the emergence of a dialogue and deliberation, even amongst these global political institutions, on what it would take to genuinely create equitable institutions. And here I think. Uh, what is missing is that there are actually no torchbearers of the third vision that you articulate. And this is where I think my deep disappointment, uh, our, or rather sense of frustration with India uh, uh, comes to the fore. I think uh, if we look back at our own history, uh, we had as a nation uh, the opportunity to articulate a very, very real third way. Uh, and we failed to do that because we fell into the trap of playing into the power dynamics and wanting to be close to power structures in ways that, that were pragmatic without building our, the normative claims of our vision of an equitable world. India, more than I've, I, perhaps with great bias, but uh, in this in this fora, I could articulate, I think uh, we may agree on some of that bias, but I do believe that India has and had the potential. We got caught in, our, in an imagination of global superpower superiority and failed to build a normative view of the world on the back of which we could have shaped our global power. And as an actor in, in uh, the India of the last 40 years, as, 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 as somebody who, who oversaw and observed so many of those transformations, I'm curious to ask you why we fail there. Um, and that, as I was reading this, perhaps with the bias of knowing who the author is, uh, the question that kept coming to my, my mind was, why did we fail? And what can we do to regroup as a nation to actually be the leaders that can articulate this third vision for the globe? Uh, because I don't believe that the current power structure, uh, which is entrenched and embedded, no matter what domestic political transformations and transitions are taking place, uh, both in in, in the American version and the Chinese version, uh, will necessarily be able to uh, be the uh, uh, to articulate that it is for a third vision, a third leader. Where will that third leadership come from, and why can't it be us? I'll stop there. Yamini, you have raised so many interesting ideas. What I would recommend later on, you and I need to have a lunch conversation, lunch, Zoom lunch. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. I you because some of these things I didn't even think of. Believe me. First two issues you talked about, why did it happen? And, you know, I didn't even think of it to include in the book. It didn't occur to me until you mentioned it. Okay. So I would request that you and I have, and I'm sure I'm going to have the same issue with Meghnath Bai. Okay. That we need a different conversation, separate conversation. It's like peeling onion, layer after layer. And you have peeled two layers that I had not seen, the way you articulated. So thank you. I learned something. And I want to continue this conversation with you separately. I really look forward to that. Thank you. Okay, Surendra now Kumar, we move to... Surendra Kumar, before you move to Meghnath Bai, okay. I see a painting in back of your shoulder. That painting was presented to me by you. And yes. I have always given it the pride. <laughs> I just saw it. I, was, I didn't see it before. I dean, when I was dean of FSI, I used to have your painting cover of my magazine every month. I am. I have. I had organized your painting exhibition Loyola University in Chicago. I just saw so, it and I said, "Whoops, that's my <laughs> painting." Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. So we are hyper connected. 
Thank you. Okay, me lord. Now floor is yours. Magnat bhai. Well, he was very successful, and he's advising prime ministers and presidents. I would, I wouldn't go that far. And anyway, no, I, I think it's a hopelessly idealistic book. Uh, you know, you're an engineer. Uh, I'm a social scientist. <laughs> Now, you, when you switch something on, it works, right? Hyperconnectivity works for you, and I think you should really have written what you said to us, a technical book on how hyperconnectivity is going to change your lives. But you want to change the world, and I think I think you know. Let me tell you, changing the world is very, very, very difficult. I spent 50 years in the Labour Party, okay, at the at the grassroots level, you know, as a, as a spear carrier, not as a leader. But even a small change, like giving child benefits, so that the money goes to the mother and not to the uh, not not through the father and so on. We had to fight for four years to convince our party, not even the conservatives. Our party, the child benefit would be beneficial because the men said the trade unionist men said, "You're taking money from my pocket and putting it into my wife's purse, and I will not have it." So my experience, unlike yours, is that the change is very difficult. Even democracy has not been achieved. Now you say that you have this. Uh, what i can only describe is the us democratic version of history uh, that that us did marvelous things i see when i was in philadelphia in 1961 i saw the black people and the slums and when i was in berkeley in 1963 i was marching for black rights uh, and i didn't stay in america because i had a post vietnam war and i would have, had i got a green card they would have sent me straight to fight in the Why <laughs> the jungles? And I'm not going to do that. So I think, and my experience in politics and as social scientist is change is extremely difficult. And I think America is still not a democracy, not not because of what happened on 6th of January, but because you know what what police do to black population, how hard it is to be able to vote in Georgia and places like that. If you are America doesn't have adult franchise. Universal adult franchise like India has, so there's no right to lecture the world about democracy. Anyway, I think that the 1945 structure was a complete disaster. If the UN is a, as as Ambassador said, the UN is an oligopoly run by five powers who have no interest in the world, and the UN has not been able to solve a single problem. Not Kashmir, not Israel, Palestine. Not Cyprus. Not a single problem has been solved by the UN. And you know, all it is, people go to the General Assembly, and your president makes a speech, and your newspapers say, "What a wonderful!" Nobody notices in New York. Nobody knows in the United Nations what the General Assembly does. It's utterly useless uh, debating chamber. But there we are. We have to say, "Oh, if it didn't exist, we would have to invent uh, another one." I think no. Uh, we can't help, and I think the world has happened. Or my lifetime, at least, 
every idealistic project has failed. Communism, you would not believe it how much in India in the 1950s you were influenced by the Soviet Union. And many of us thought Soviet Union was the future of the world. And of course, India was going to be the moral leader of the world, remember. India always has very, I disagree with Yamini, India has always had very, very high ambitions, not to feed the poor, but to be moral leader, to be the world's teacher. We can't even clean up the Ganga. You know, I mean, the Ganga has been, Rajiv Gandhi started cleaning up the Ganga, and now Narendra Modi wants to clean up the Ganga. And why does it take rocket science to clean up a river? Because it is why, Sudra's why, work. Why are our hospitals so third rate? Why are all our hospitals so third rate? You know, we, 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 we notice, and, and I think this is a global problem. And, and across the world, every country has failed to have invested enough in public health. You know, uh, cybernetics works. You're quite right. You push something, the electronic impulse, I don't even understand what it is, but the electronic impulses go forward. And I think that will stay. Thanks to capitalism. You, you people are not like capitalism. But I, I, I was a Marxist for a long time, and I know how valuable and dynamic capitalism is. But I also know, as Schumpeter said, that capitalism is a destructive system. It's creative destruction, he called it. It goes on destroying old technology and move on to new technology. No tears for the, for the, for the people left behind because they're winners all the time. And I don't care about what, how much profit, uh, you know, uh, and the, you know the, um, Google or, or Apple make. The benefit to hundreds and millions of people in Indian villages who can communicate and find out why their boy has not come home from school, you know, by picking up that absolutely invaluable. So I think I, uh, for me, the big ideals, I'm going to reform the world and I'm going to tell the world what to do, never work. The big techniques, the planning has not worked, not in this country, not, not in Soviet Union. China has, because China has actually taken the capitalism, you know, unashamed capitalism, except that they have got a political party which doesn't allow democracy. But otherwise, China is a success story because Deng Xiaoping realized that little Taiwan, which was there, had become an economic success while China was a disaster. So he, he adopted capitalism. And one thing about Chinese, when they adopt capitalism, it's no holds barred. There are no ifs or buts, no discussion, no Gandhian, no violence, nothing. They just go for it. And that's why they are a middle income country. Within, within 15 years, they become a middle income country. And so I think my view is that don't plan, don't build castles. The world will change of its own, uh, own dynamics. You know, while change is very difficult when the change comes. You know, remember we were also pleased about globalization. The world was globalized, there will be no border, end of history and all that. And the world did globalize. You know, the pandemic would have been much easier to control that world not globalized. So, you know, it's because global, the world was globalized that a disease in Wuhan can go to a passenger in Singapore and come to Europe within 48 hours. That is globalization and that is the pandemic. So, you know, everything has a positive and negative aspect. I think my, my interest would be not in how you're going to establish freedom and democracy. And, you know, people have tried and nobody has succeeded very much, but it will happen. 
for example, your connectivity would make uh, elections not necessary. People will be able to continuously tell their representatives, you know, what they want. You know, wh why do we go to election booths and vote? Well, completely unnecessary. You got a smartphone, you vote, and, and you tell your representative what you want. And you can aggregate all those demands and so on. So we, we're not even caught up with, with the connectivity politically. But I think, you know, big planning, big ambitions to change the world overnight don't work. All we can do is the world changes, we can, after a bit of a lag, understand why it changed. That's what I do as a social scientist. I think I have innovated something, but I've just understood what happened here before last, and just about catching up with it. We didn't expect 2008 financial crisis, despite all that, uh, all that we had talked about, the Keynesian policy and so on, completely wiped out. And now with the COVID, all rules of economics have changed. They don't care about deficit. They go print money, give it away, and so on. So I think world will change under crisis and pressure. It will not change in a, you know, it's not like uh, driving down an American highway in a, in a Tesla car, smooth, you know. It is like driving in Delhi. <laughs> and it is absolute hell. Uh, there's too much traffic and so on. So I think what I take away from your book is be aware technology is going to transform our lives completely. And I think you owe it to us to explain to us better that part of what you said in your introductory thing. You're not going to make a new United Nations, Sam, nor am I. And even we two together could not be able to do it. Uh, because nobody else would do it either. I think we have to concentrate on how daily lives are going to be changed by technology. And you know that better than anybody else. You know, but I'm more worried about why we can't clean the Ganga. Why, why, why the UK and the National Health Service, which when the COVID strikes, people have no PPE. People have no simple uniforms. How do we run a world like this? And why do we constantly fail the people? India has constantly failed the people, so so has America and so has UK. So my 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 worldly view is very pessimistic. I hope change will happen. I hope the next generation will do better, but I don't have much hope of that. So I I, I try to understand and I try to be critical because I think the world is extremely imperfect place and likely to stay so. Thank you. But thank you for writing the book. Because well, I, it told me what's not going to happen. Thank you. Thank so, Doctor. I, I appreciate every word you have said. <clears throat> you have more experience in these things. But you know, you got to have something to do while you are locked up in the house. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite true. You know, you, as well. yeah, I, otherwise, I, I would have gone mad. Exactly. Okay. This at least kept my sanity. Indeed. <coughs> and that Thank is you. more important than anything else in the world. Remember that. Dr. Pitoda, you wrote this book during lockdown. Last yes. night, Manish Zairam sent me a message saying he wrote a long poem on Gautam Buddha during lockdown. So I said, look, lockdown has some creative rewards. And if it happened in, during lockdown, he must thank Prime Minister Red Modi. After all, the book would not have come if there was no lockdown. Now, if you 
if you allow i can really take Please. some questions Please. from the no, i want to thank both of them for their comments and i think i will follow up with both of them separately i want to and you know take this forward i want conversation on this okay i am very optimistic about the world you young compared to yeah because <laughs> i tell you why you know if i can come out of a small little tribal village in orissa and do all these things without anything this generation has lot more to hope for that's all okay well amongst us we have senior most diplomat who yeah, joined from distinguished people before you arrived in usa ambassador eric gonzales are you still there of course i saw him mr gonzales you were there mr. i saw Salves. him are you there yeah yeah i i am here uh, <clears throat> so would you like to make some comment good to see you no no i i i also would just first pay course a tribute to mr putroda for opening up so many ideas to us um i think that what you are doing can we see your face again eric gonzalez yes yes i know you well i mean we watch the video video audio we can No, no. I, I, I installed one of your exchanges in the IIC when it was just new and brand new, and we experimented yes. with it. Um, but <clears throat> I, I don't have very much to say because I think that the points that Lord Desai has made are very true. Um, we are not, you know, humanity is not that willing to change merely because you have a te- technological success. they want to see it in a rather more roundabout way in which they get more benefits and so on and then they in fact like the virus has shown us we do not even care for our own good we are ready to go out and get lost in the infection just to take part in a party or a marriage or a funeral or whatever it is so we are fallible human beings i think that to make try to make them into whether you're perfect technologically or perfect socially or perfect economically is just not possible the only thing is whether you can possibly try to get them part way there and that is where as i said the formation the education has to take part and i think that where we are failing also so much is in getting the younger generation to assimilate the fact that they have to adapt themselves but adapt the people around them also you cannot be just enough to to take the ideas for which as i say we have to thank people like you dr petroda and and, and dr desai lord desai but um, to get this into the thinking part of our society that is really the problem and that's where formation education and so on has to be taped to do what we want thank you Okay, I see Mr. Hari Kumar from New York Times. There have been so many references to USA. Hari Kumar, do you want to ask something? Where is Hari Kumar? I don't see him. Now uh, I see his name. He is there, but uh, Hari Kumar unless he's left. Okay, you have your old friend, Mr. Kiran Karnik. Yes, yes. Yes. We, Mr. Karnik, how are you? 
difficult. It's not sudden, and I think Sam made the same point, saying he's not looking for a revolution; he's looking for revolutionary change. To me, what is more important is the point Yamini made: that what path are we moving on? You know, how fast we go, how slow we go, depends on a number of factors. But what road are we on? And it seems to me that we are on the road of following one or the other of the directions of the framework created, either the Western, the U.S. European framework, or the more Chinese framework. and we are not looking at what we started out when we first got independent a road that you know nehru tried to set us on that we are different we are independent we are on neither side we will chart our own course and many developing countries followed us they they wanted to be you know shown a different path and even today as you would know best surender you've been in the foreign service so long so many developing countries look to india to provide the lead on so many aspects and we seem to have fallen into the trap of competing with others and being you know somebody says super power to be and we are thrilled we are thrilled no end i mean is that what we want to be we want to be you know happy compassionate a country that sets a new path somebody that sets new directions somebody like a gandhi who completely broke away from traditional methods of overthrowing a colonial empire so i that's my only comment or question i don't know if sam or anybody wants to react to that but i think that's to me is more important than are we expecting a sudden change yes change is difficult will it happen we need a dream and the dream sets us on a path and if as long as we are on that path i think we are good thank okay. you is that your hand do you want to ask something yamini i see some hand against your face erickson has something i thought okay yes my friend from iceland he is a most regular supporter please go ahead Well, thank you, <clears throat> thank you so much, uh, everybody. Um, uh, you surrender as usual, of course, and Sam and uh, Meknat and Yamini. Um, first, uh, my first point: I have to rush to to uh, challenge what uh, Meknat said about the UN. Uh, surely, he, what he says about the General Assembly and and even more so the Security Council. Yes, but there's a lot more to the UN than the than the GA and the and the Security Council. That could be a subject of another another uh, another. Uh, another session and i also want to challenge you sam when you started by saying that you're not a good storyteller quite the contrary and you you presented us a, a very good story for our for the thinking but you identified i think uh, if i if i if i counted correctly five characteristics and uh, within parentheses maybe uh, five ills in modern society and i'm just wondering how much of this really is human nature and uh, i think yamini picked picked up on this uh, as well as uh, kiran uh the mahatma had anticipated uh, i think the, in, in the later last part of his life what the, what you have been discussing the well the three of you and i guess i'm echoing what uh, kind of the pessimism as opposed to your uh, what what he called the, your uh, your optimism uh, in that respect you know as i was coming here to join us um i passed in the harbor of my city two mega yachts uh, which were the building cost of over 700 million dollars 
for, for owned by five or six people. Each has like 50 men uh, crew. And um, it was a rather enlightening experience. But anyway, my, my takeaway from you, if I, may, uh, if I may summarize exactly what you said, you said it uh, in the middle of your, your presentation, it, it's exclusion, isn't it? Isn't it uh, the exclusion, which is the, the main ill? And that, that, I think, is the message you give to us that with this new hyperconnectivity and so forth, that becomes more surmountable than it has been in the past. And I thank you for this. Professor Deepak Paintal, former Vice Chancellor of Delhi University, I see you wanted to ask something. Professor, please go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, yes we, can. we can hear we you, see. but we can't we see, you. see you also. Mr. Petroda, can we see you now? Yes, press can the you press also. We can hear, we can't see you. Yes, we yeah. can now see you, but now can't hear. <laughs> okay, press the audio. You have unmute the audio with a red little thing. Yes. Yeah, yes. Now you are okay. Yes, please. Well, it's great you have written a book, and uh, I have not read it, but I will certainly read it and uh, come back to you with some points or questions. Please. But Good what I want it. to ask you is, uh, you know, it's usually said that change is uh, difficult, but I think we are wonderfully uh, comfortable with stasis in our country here. Uh, I give you two, three examples. Remember when the idea of digital library for India came up, I thought it was such a wonderful idea, but nobody seemed to like it. The librarians wanted their own uh, brick and mortar libraries. The, the bureaucrats said, why, why we, we are being hassled? Uh, I mean, there was no enthusiasm. Then in my university, if you broach the idea of having a dual degree, at least three, two subjects, immediate reaction is there is a sanctity in my subject. If you reduce the coursework a little bit, uh, the, 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 the subject will be lost. So why is it caste? Is it we are still stuck in? And the third example I wanted to give you was throughout the, all the governments in the past 15 years, we are stuck at 0.7% of our GDP for R&D. So what technology, what, I mean, why are we so wedded to stasis? What is your, what are your thoughts on it? I would love to hear those. Thank you. First of all, the book was not written for India. Book was sort of free-flowing ideas for the world. India happens to be one subset, just because I'm Indian. And I think like Indian doesn't mean that I've focused on. Of course, all changes are difficult. I can tell you when I started my work on telephone in 1981, 85, hundreds of people told me it can't be done. You are on a wrong track. Why are you worrying about telephone? Why don't you worry about water and agriculture? Because India doesn't need telephone. India needs food. And my answer was, I don't know how to do it. So let me do what I know how to do. Find somebody else on water. I'm not capable. I can do only this much. Don't expect from me what I can't do. I know my limitations. So just because I wrote a book, I can't take responsibility for executing it. I may not be capable. 
it's okay but that don't shouldn't stop me from writing a book surely not digital library has come a long way not just in india all over the world now i don't need a library i have the internet is my library okay i know on internet archives there are 500000 books from india which indian libraries don't have in digital format internet archives has it okay so now the library has a different meaning the old meaning of library is obsolete i don't need a library so i think things have changed so much but we still stick to the old ideas you know i would say i have access to library my cell phone is my window to the world i can go visit the guggenheim museum i can go her- visit hermitage and i can go visit delhi museum okay so power of connectivity lies in our ability to imagine okay if you want still a degree and pay 200000 dollars to get an mba from harvard it's your option but you can learn 70% of that on internet without going to harvard you may not get a fine certificate okay choice is yours you may want to go spend 200000 if you have it and get a certificate from i'm just using harvard as an example it could be any other university or you say i'm not going to do that and i'm going to learn my management on cell phone you can do it is that what you want to do option is yours so i think all of us at an individual level will have to decide where do we want to change how do we want to change and what change we want to fight for and different people will fight for different things and hopefully it'll all add up hopefully we got to start the process and like kiran karnik said we got to lay out a path okay and fortunately we don't have eyes in the back we have eyes in front so we need to look forward and not backward you know a lot of people in india always talk about great history heritage ram whatever fine it's great i don't discuss that okay that's my personal thing i want to look forward okay so it depends and again not that i am right and they are wrong but that's what i want i'm begnat bhai absolutely i'm right okay i have left with one i've been left one minute of the survey so does lord rekai or yamni want to say something before i close no no i was saying to uh, Sam in Gujarati, I enjoyed it. Majavi. Ah, Majavi. That's good. We can talk about that. You see, you both. But I do, I do want to connect with Meghnath Bai separately, and have a conversation. And I definitely want to have series of conversations with Yamini. You know, when Pai Panandikar was head, we used to do this regularly with uh, CPI. I would come there, and we'll have fifteen friends, and we will just. have a lunch together every few months okay so i think we should have a zoom lunch with you and some of your colleagues and have a series of conversations that could be very useful because you will bring in an angle that i have not even seen 
It would be an honor. And since our former chair, Eric, is here, he has to join the lunch too. <laughs> I know. I've been with him and I've spent time with him. And you are lucky to have people like him around. Well, I see the face of my friend Mahendra Kumabat, former DG of BSF from Jaipur. Before I close, do you want to say something? Mahendra? You are muted. Yeah, this, yes. Now no, I think I'm muted. Uh, I'm a former police officer, but now I'm in academia. Mm. My question is, this hyper-connectivity has changed the world. In fact, nation is grateful to Sam Petroza that we are all beneficiary of that. But as a former police officer, I spent more than 37 years in the police. That old cliche, the big brother is watching. It was earlier a myth. Now it is a reality. For a good citizen, for a law-abiding citizen, if he is not aligned with uh, authoritarian governments which are springing up world over, how they are going to cope with this challenge? Question to Sam Petroda. Thank you. I think information brings about openness. It is wrong to assume that people are not watching you. Every time you use credit card, they are watching you. Where did you go? What did you buy? How much did you pay? How much money you have? You know, your profile is, is going on all the time because of this marketing craze. You know, they want me to sell shoes because by mistake, somewhere I said shoes. Now the whole world is after me. Buy my shoes. That's the world we have created. So I think the idea of privacy has to change. The old idea of privacy don't work anymore. I can be tracked anytime, anywhere, wherever I go. Earlier, people used to ask my driver, where did he go? Now they can ask telephone company, where did I go? Same thing. Okay. So I think privacy has a very different meaning in a hyper-connected world. Okay. And we have to accept it. You know, it's like knife. You can kill somebody and you can also cut your fruit. Take your peak, unfortunately. And technology is not necessarily the answer to everything. It is an entry point to bring about change. It is a tool. It is not an end point. Because technology can't eat for me. Can't drink for me. Can't bring happiness. It has to come from within. So at the end of the day, technology is just a tool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, now we have come to an end. A virtual applause for all the participants, especially the author and the thank you very much. And I am very glad. Thank you, everybody. Done discussion on your two books. One was the rebellious Lord or Lord Desai, and second your books. In ten years, we have never discussed any books, but I think your conversation is very important. And those who have joined, those who will join through your book and articles, all that, I am sure they will benefit. Thank you very much for coming on board. And I wish you all good luck and due success. Good night. Thank you.